you're in the yellow anytime you laugh. So you mean throughout the entire episode, you will be in the yellow. <laughs> it will be consistent warning <laughs> Shush lights. you. Because you are always laughing. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. This is the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. It's called the Podcast Awards and Issues. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we rank every single movie on Disney+. Plus. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. All right. How you doing, Bob? I'm doing good. Sean, how are you doing? Yeah. I am doing pretty good. Thank you for asking. I keep uh, I keep waiting for that. My hint hints are coming through. <laughs> there was no hint hint. You were like, nobody ever asks me how I'm doing. <laughs> that was like, that was a blunt force trauma hint. All the texts I sent you over and over again. Bobby, Bobby, why isn't anyone asking me how I'm doing? <laughs> I have feelings too. Now you have to leave that part of the last episode in because we're referencing it again. It's a callback. Oh, we already have callbacks? <laughs> so I do have good news. What's the good news, Sean? Did they not add anything and we're catching up finally? Oh my god, you guessed the good news. Okay, so yes. to be specific, to be specific, oh. two episodes ago, we did Freaky Fridays. At that time, we were at 1756, but we did two extra movies. We did three Freaky Fridays, okay? So that brought us down to 1754. The next episode, we added two movies yep. that brought us up to 1756 again, and since then, They've added nothing. Yay. We're catching up. We are finally getting ahead. Nice. It only took us seven episodes. I'm waiting for the day where they actually like take stuff off Disney+. Plus. I know they're, it's still pretty new, so they're adding stuff to the catalog. But like Netflix style, they'll probably take stuff off. Will they? Eventually. I don't see fucking the black hole leaving Disney Plus at any time. I mean, what better licensing agreement do they have? Where like the Roku channel is like, oh, we're going to give you big bucks for the black hole, Disney. <laughs> like the Sony stuff might cycle out. They have other stuff. I, I saw that they were making an agreement with the BBC to do Doctor Who on Disney Plus now. Yeah. I mean, those aren't movies, but. No, there are Doctor Who movies from the 1960s. Oh, fuck. All right. Yeah. Isn't there like the Christmas special that's a movie? Well, we're not watching Doctor Who this week. This week, we are watching Flight of the Navigator. And oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I'm going to throw this to Robbie first. Robbie, have you ever seen this movie before? Uh, I have seen it actually probably a few times, but when I was much younger. Right. I honestly remember the premise of it. I knew it was a kid in a spaceship, but that's pretty much all I remembered about it. So like the first half of this show i uh was completely new to me and uh because it there's no flight in the first half there's no navigator there's no navigator there's no nothing it's just a kid there's only of the yeah 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 and it's only articles and so the first half of the movie i was like what is this show but i was fascinated and then when they actually got to the flight part i was like can we go back to the other stuff okay what about you bob have you seen this before i thought i had and it turns out i was thinking of the last starfighter <laughs> So this is new to you. This, this, this was actually brand new to me. I've, uh, I've never seen The Last Starfighter. It's probably because I watched The Flight of the Navigator multiple times instead. Oh, man. So when I was a kid, 
I saw this at least three times. And when I'm when I say kid, I mean like six, seven years old, like pretty young. There was probably a time when this was my favorite movie. Really? But I haven't seen it, I don't think, since I was probably seven, eight years old. Like we're going on, it's been almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. I was very worried it was going to be awful. <laughs> huh. uh, it's the kind of film where you're like, oh, I loved that when I was a kid. And then you turn it on and you're like, oh, oh, no, it's super goofy and boring and also racist. Oh, why did I like this? <laughs> Sorry for laughing there. But that just is the theme of this podcast is finding out all these Disney shows are racist. Yeah, I know. That's like most of these old Disney movies when you watch them. But uh, I got to say, I put this on pleasantly surprised. I really oh, dug really? this again. I think it was really good. Okay. I almost really dug it, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that as we go forward. Maybe I have the same thoughts as you. I will clarify that I really dug this with the exception of the fact that I hate the ending and I want it to burn in a fiery pit of hell. Oh, really? It, it almost does. That's, that, that's, that's the tension. Well, will that happen? Just a little bit of background. So this was an independently financed film. Really? It's made with Norwegian money. What? <laughs> what? It's a Norwegian film. It, what? This is not tracking for me right now at all. It was an independent, so it was Viking Films was the Norwegian film company, and they put up one-third of the budget. I mean, that's a bit on the nose. Come on, Viking Films. And the other company was the, I mean, could you have a more conglomerate film studio name than the Producers Sales Organization? (laughs) Yeah. Who put up the other two-thirds of the budget for this film. The Producers Sales Organization? It sounds like the name of the company that also manufactures pharmaceuticals and AK-47s. <laughs> you know, like they do three things. Yeah, finance, children's movies, banana cream pies. And guns. <laughs> and AK-47s. The producers brought this script to Disney because they said, this seems like a Disney movie about a kid and his family and his wise cracking sidekick spaceship. Wouldn't Disney want to make that? And Disney said, fuck no. <laughs> Apparently they had just released Return to Oz. <laughs> and they said... Kids don't want to watch this stuff. Uh, <gasps> Holy crap. Return to Oz is on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be screaming that as my choice every time until we watch it. I love that movie so much. We just changed the rules of the podcast. We will now never watch The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes or Return to Us. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. The thing is, you're the only person that loves it because it was a horrible disaster. <laughs> yeah, it tanked. It tanked And Disney so was bad. like, we don't want to make any of these live action fantasy sci-fi movies. Uh, we're getting out of that. So they were reluctant to make it. They didn't want to make it and... The producers took it to independent financiers. They financed the movie in Norway. They shot it. The Norwegian company went bankrupt, I think, shortly after shooting ended, but they didn't have post-production done. Do they shoot this in Norway? They shot in Florida and Norway. The studio stuff was done in Norway. Okay. They went to Disney after they, I think, had shot. The post-production wasn't finished. And then they said, please? (laughs) Please? Will you please take it? And at that point, Disney was like, all right, maybe. Eisner had just taken over, and this was their first distribution deal under his management. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Good start for him, in my opinion. Which tracks a little bit for me. And, like, I mean, we're getting a little bit ahead. But the thing that stood out for me was we've been watching all of these older movies. This movie opened with the classic Disney opening that I remember as a kid of the, like, 
kind of angel choir singing and the like arches going over. Da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I was like, this yeah. is Disney. This is the Disney I know. Yeah, well, that was their logo and theme through the 90s. Brought the feels back for me, too. Yeah, it really did. It really did. As I was watching that logo, I was like, oh, man, am I like five again? It's it's insane how that just that like a sound or an image brings you like straight back to those emotions. Well, it went through basically like my entire childhood. Like by yeah. the time they switch, I was a teenager and it doesn't have the same impact. So, you know, that's Toy Story to me. That's Aladdin animated 1992. That's like everything that I grew up on. And here it is, 1986. This is probably one of the first times they used it. So it was directed by Randall Kleiser, who... uh is famous for directing Grease, John Travolta. He directed Blue Lagoon. He also wow. directed yeah, that's right. Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. He, the sequel. Also on Disney Plus, the sequel to Joe Johnston's Honey, I Shrunk the Kid. I like how they're like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. And then it, third is Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. They just ran out of ideas. What are you talking about? There's no Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. Isn't there one? No, that is number two. It is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Number two is Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which is making the baby large. Oh, Number okay, three gotcha. was a straight-to-video and probably Disney Channel movie that we wouldn't have gotten up here, Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Okay. I I, I, I must have heard it in context somewhere else that that movie was called Honey, I Blew Up the Baby, because that's a great title, and it should have been called that. It, I thought this was like a, a, a Bernstein Bears alternate dimension situation, where, like, <laughs> you grew up with a different third Honey, I Shrunk the Kids yeah. movie, and you were or, like, no. You grew up with the Bernstein bears and we're like what are you talking about <laughs> no I, I thought that's what it was called my bad i'm sorry i just have some sort of weird blowing up baby thing in my brain think, think to yourself of all the things disney have let slip through would they let a movie go to theaters honey i blew up the baby <laughs> they let a movie called honey i blew up the kid which that movie came out when i was a kid it was like 93 or something and i couldn't wrap my head around the language of it i asked my parents why is this movie about exploding a kid? <laughs> and they said, no, no, no. It's not about exploding a kid. Blew up means make bigger. And I said, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it means explode. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, no. Like blowing up a photo. Like exploding a photo? No, 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 no. See, it was a terrible title. So one more thing. There is actually a fourth Honey, I Blank the Blank movie, which Randall Kleiser directed. It's Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, only available at Walt Disney World. Oh, is that like a ride? That's right. It's a three-dimensional film where they spray water at you. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was written by uh, three gentlemen, Mark Baker, Michael Burton, and someone by the name of Matt McManus. And I say someone by the name of Matt McManus because apparently his real name is Phil Joannu. I don't know why. He had a pseudonym to writing this film because Phil Joannu is actually a uh, very successful director. A lot of it happened after this movie came out, but he directed a lot of music videos. He directed a few movies, and he also directed the short film Punisher Dirty Laundry, starring Thomas Jane. He what? I read that too. That that I, that absolutely blew me away because I that's actually insane. really enjoyed that film when that came out. Yeah, that's it was great. It's directed by the co-writer of this film, Phil Joannu. Although that's insane. Phil Joannu used a pseudonym for some reason and wrote it under the name Matt McManus. But I actually double checked a couple sources. There are multiple sources that say this is the same person. So maybe he was dodging a union requirement or something because it was being shot yeah. in Norway. Who knows whatever the reason is. Both of those names sound Norwegian. 
McManus and Janu? I don't know. Uh, the other writers don't have any other credits, and it surprises me because I think this is a really solidly written film. No, that's not true. Um, Mark H. Baker made a movie which I think was called Mind Reader, which was – I mean the, t- the description of the movie is it's like it's part E.T., part alien, but it's, uh, but it's basically a sci-fi – made-for-TV rip-off of both of those things, but made to be scary. And I was like, okay, so this is just the, like, sci-fi channel, slightly more adult version of Flight of the Navigator. So like I said, both writers have no other credits. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The movie stars Joey Kramer as David Freeman, the titular navigator, the young boy. Uh, It stars Veronica Cartwright as his mother, Helen. Uh, Cliff Young as his father, Bill. Sarah Jessica Parker in her first on-screen performance as Carolyn. Uh, Howard Hessman plays Dr. Louis Faraday. And so I, I, I noticed that they're taking the lost approach of saying, yes, we know a little bit about physics. We're naming all our characters after first year introductory history of physics people. Yep. And Matt Adler plays the 16-year-old older version of his younger brother, Jeff. There is one other actor, uncredited, as is very common in many of these Disney films. Why are all of these actors uncredited? They're getting these famous... I suspect Michael Eisner wanted to convince kids that the alien was real. (laughs) Specifically what you were talking about is you were talking about Paul Rubens going under the credit of Paul Mall. Yep. And I actually read that that was Paul Rubens' choice to create some mystery around Max. It's not surprising at all, because as soon as he starts doing his goofy voices, you're like, oh, it's Pee Wee Herman. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that too. But at that point in the movie, I was like, isn't Pee Wee Herman in this movie? And then the computer tries to laugh, and I was like, oh, there he is. I thought they actually had two separate voices. I thought as soon as he got, when they scanned David's brain, I was like, did they just change voice actors for the computer at this point in time? Um yeah, I actually thought it was two separate people doing the voice. Yeah, Paul Rubens is a talented voice actor. I thought he was good. I thought he was really good uh, as both different personalities of Max. Um, I yeah. really enjoyed him. Bobby, how does this movie start? This movie starts out with what I thought was actually a really fun trope that they repeat several times in the movie. Was So many times. But you could tell they're having fun with it is that this movie fakes out a flying saucer. You track this silver glowing disc floating through the sky with a Silvestri doing some kind of theremony 1950s style sci-fi soundtrack going. And then a dog jumps out of the air and grabs the frisbee and you realize it's taken you for a little ride. And it's like, ha, yeah, this is a movie about aliens, but instead we're going to show you 10 minutes of dogs catching frisbees in slow motion. The first 30 minutes of this movie is just like, eh? You think there's going to be aliens, right? I imagine if you went into this movie blind, you'd be like, maybe? Are you telling me there's aliens in this? What am I expecting here? I, I had a note that, you know, 10 out of 10, this movie could have just been like an hour and a half of dogs in slow motion catching frisbees, and I would have been endlessly entertained. My first note was, how long does this dog scene go on? And then after that, I was like, wait, never mind. Not long enough. Like, it goes on for like two and a half minutes, but like... I would watch all of it. There's even shots where the dogs miss the frisbee, and you're like, oh! Yeah, I know, right? Like, there's so much tension. The first shot where the dog misses the frisbee was Sarah Jessica Parker's credit. I was watching this. I was like, Sarah Jessica Parker's in this? And then, like, the dog missed, right? And I was like... The dog was so shocked by the credit that the dog missed. (laughs) So it is. It's two and a half minutes of dogs playing with frisbees, and it's glorious. Every every opening credit should just be cute dogs or cute cats playing with stuff. Yeah. Bobby had messaged us earlier, Sean, eh? and he said, hey, do you know the composer of Flight of the Navigator was the same one who did uh, uh, Super Mario Brothers? Yeah. 
<laughs> that's his reference for alan silvestri is super mario brothers yeah yeah and you can tell it's an alan, it's an alan silvestri score like it's good i i dug it you can tell it's an alan silvestri score because it's a lot of arpeggiated uh diminished fifths <laughs> as people walk spookily through the woods and it's, in fact it's the back of the future score there is one part i'll get to it later but we're bringing it up now when he gets to the spaceship for the first time and he's walking up those steps, he plays the spaceship theme, which hadn't appeared before then. And the spaceship theme is literally the one five flat five. So it's da da da, which is interesting because the Back to the Future theme is five one flat five. Yeah. It's the same notes in a different order. Da da da. Yeah. Oh man. I just got little goosebump chills from that. That was good. Okay, now sing the theme from Super Mario Brothers. Dun, 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 dun. That's Koji Kondo, so that's not even Alan Silvestri. I don't know what he did for the movie. I've never seen it. Yeah, I know. I've never seen the, the movie. It's not on Disney+. Plus. So. Okay, you want to talk about movies that have not aged well and, oh my god, is this going to, how am I going to feel about this as an adult? There is footage of me when I'm like six years old at the exhibition, which for people who don't know is a traveling carnival, of me talking to the newscaster about what ride I was on. And I'm specifically referencing, I'm riding down, I was like, I'm riding down the big slide and I have my foot out so I can kick the ice down at the end of the tunnel, just like Mario does in the Super Mario Brothers movie. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking loved that movie so much as a kid. Wow. Somewhere, Somewhere there's an archive of me talking about that as a child. All right, so we are now officially through the opening credits of this film. (laughs) How long did that take? And we find out that they're watching the Frisbee Dog Catching Championship of South Florida because these people live in... Sponsored by Gaines. What is Gaines? Dog food brand. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. This is where Disney got the money. They were like, sure. No, this is where Norway got the money. Yeah, this is where Viking <laughs> Films got the money. Yeah, the only flying saucers that don't have gains on them are the silver ones they use for the fake out as the flying right. saucer. Every other one has the gains logo. And then the gains makes a comeback when he's like, oh, you got to go feed your dog before you go get your brother. And then it's just like walks out with his gains bag of dog food facing straight to the camera. It probably was a major sponsorship. I'm now imagining the producers with like, a blackboard and at the top it's like where do we get money and the first is like disney and then it's them sad crossing out disney and then underneath Aww. gains <laughs> they're like plan b guys we're gonna go to gains for this one what came first the frisbee bit for the fake out or the frisbee bit for the dog food sponsorship listen don't question art okay inspiration could come from anywhere <laughs> yeah this is, this is art fair enough this uh this this whole sequence harken back to something uh a family member had said once they're uh when they first moved to America, and they their comment was, man, America can make anything a competition. <laughs> and I was like, here are a group of people judging, judging how well children have trained their dogs to catch Frisbees wow. for money and prizes. South Florida for you. <laughs> uh, the brother, uh, he says that uh, David's dog will never learn how to catch a Frisbee because during this competition, uh, David is like, oh boy, look what they're doing. Let's... Throw it at it. So it's Buster or something? Bru- uh, Bruiser. 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 Yeah. So he throws a Frisbee at Bruiser, and Bruiser's having none of it. He's the only dog that has never chased after anything in his life, apparently. And then Jeff says uh, he'll never learn how to catch a Frisbee. And then I bring it up because later in the film, jumping ahead, the Jeff throws the Frisbee to Bruiser, and he catches it in his mouth. It's this nice little payoff. Yeah. It's this nice little character payoff. You know, I, I made that. I have the same note. 
I think this is a really tight script. I think that there is a lot of thought that goes into a lot of the content and the little moments in this script. Um, I was really impressed. That's a good example of it. Uh, they drive home and they live in like kind of a waterfront swampy forest cottage. I'm. <laughs> is that you trying to label the topography of the land because it makes no well, sense? Well, they're they're in they're in, they live in Fort Lauderdale, don't they? They live in Fort Lauderdale later in the movie. I'm not sure they live in Fort oh. Lauderdale no. at the beginning, do they? No, that it said uh, it said the Fourth of July Fort Lauderdale for frisbee dog championship. Okay, they actually said that. I re- I rewound that because I was like, where? Wait, where do they live? Because uh, I could not, as you said a swamp forest beachfront property. I could not actually label it in my brain. I was like, where do they live? So I, I remembered that banner. Now, to be fair, they do they do have gators down there. So there there is swamps. Yeah, like Fort Lauderdale is just outside of Miami. Like it's, it's, it's north, like 20 minutes, yeah. essentially. They live in kind of like a nice little cottage near a forest and near the waterfront. They are, they have to be super rich because they live on the water and they have no neighbors. Apparently they just live like next to a forest. Right. And then I was like, wait, this super rich family went to a Frisbee competition on 4th of July for no reason without having a dog in the race. Like, why would they go do that? The kid likes the kid. The kid likes the dog. Yes. I don't know. The dog can't even catch a Frisbee. Like, why are they going to this on the 4th of July? Don't they have anything better to do with this super rich family? Listen, I would have watched that for half an hour. I'm sure they would. It's cute. Dogs jumping after Frisbees. Yeah, Robbie, are you telling me that, like, someone's like, hey, before we go shoot fireworks and eat hamburgers on the water, which I will add is the most American thing I could hear in a movie, we're going to go watch dogs catch Frisbees for half an hour. You are either 12 or 6 years old that his brother is. You're going. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Okay. Yeah, so they they drive home to their their palatial waterfront cottage. His little brother Jeff is annoying him. They're bickering. Jeff jumps out of the car cuz he's going to go play with his friends. The rest of the family goes home. Uh, really quick. I caught on to this. I don't know if anybody else does. Nobody in this family wears a seatbelt. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you pointed that out. This family seems like a very loving family. I think the parents are very charming. They care for their kids a lot. I found it very heartwarming. They court danger like no one I can possibly imagine. The kid just jumps out of a moving vehicle practically. I'm just going to get out here. Yeah, fine. And then the kid is going to come home through a forest. The kid is is seven years old. If that. And he's going to walk half a mile through a forest to get home. Over train tracks. Over train tracks on his own. And then they reveal that... They're going to go set off fireworks, which they keep in David's room in a big box yeah. of fireworks. Like, no offense to this family, but if I was the local police and this report came in about like, oh, a local family lost a kid. Oh, fuck. Is it the Freemans? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not surprised in the slightest. Was it the one they let walk through the forest or when they like set the river on fire? <laughs> it really does not surprise me that they do not wear seatbelts. Is all I'm saying. I guess it was in that timeline. It's the 70s. When were seatbelts invented? I mean, that was before. Well, seatbelts were around. They were mandated. I believe the legal requirements for seatbelts were sometimes in the 70s. This actually isn't something that I looked up. And to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't be surprised 
if the legal requirement for wearing seatbelts might have been after this. Like, maybe this is a stupid thing to say, but everything else in this movie that I ended up looking up, I was like, actually, that's correct. So maybe seatbelts weren't legally required at the time. You're saying the script's pretty tight. All right, they did their research. (laughs) Going back, sorry, really quickly, to where they live. That was another thing. We, We mentioned the train tracks. But, like, they live on the waterfront next to a forest and a swamp and the train tracks. You said this was shot in Norway and in Florida. I mean, they're, I think they have to be cutting between locations. Obviously, they're cutting between locations. Every movie does that. But no, like, man, I think that's just Florida. <laughs> Florida is like the battle world of the United States. Like, <laughs> everything just combines and smashes into one another. And, like, you walk 10 feet and it feels like you're in a different country. Okay, maybe. Because I just, as I said, I could not understand what was going on or where they were. I had to rewind it to see the flag for the dog championship that said it had Fort Lauderdale because I could not place it. It was just so much different topography that I was just completely lost. So David goes upstairs to his room. Um, he's going to go spy on the local uh, young girls, like a peeping Tom. Yep. Um, it's a little weird, but he's got a little uh, telescope that he points outside. That's what all the movies had, right? That was what little yeah. boys were taught to do by media back in the day, apparently. To be fair, he's got a pointed at public docks, so it's more people watching than peeping. But it's still a little creepy, the way that he has it pointed at a very specific young girl. His parents tell him, after he feeds the dog, and we get another nice branding moment for, what was it, Gain? Gain's dog food. Gain's, Gain's dog food. Gain's dog food. The dog food of young boys everywhere. Rush it to your dad's PR meeting. <laughs> Make a casserole out of it. <laughs> Nice. Oh, I hope it's the same food. I have to go back and watch the movie now. <laughs> You're going to go back watch Freaky Friday? For like 20 years, all the Disney movies were funded by Gaines dog food. <laughs> I mean, now we know what we're all looking out for when we watch the shaggy dog. So he feeds the dog, and then his mother tells him to go meet his younger brother, his seven-year-old younger brother, who's walking alone through the woods in the middle of the night, a half mile across the train tracks. And he does this because that's insane. You said they're bad parents, but like... I didn't say they're bad parents. She said the older brother to go find him in the woods by himself. He didn't say they were bad parents. All he stated was that the family courts danger at every turn. (laughs) Yes. Fair. Much more eloquent. I think they're... They seem like very loving, wonderful parents. (laughs) They they just... They're not... They're the opposite of protective. (laughs) It was a different time. So he goes into the woods to to find his little brother. He There's a lot of spooky music. There's a lot of arpeggiated, diminished fifths from Silvestri. There's also... And then they have... Fake out number three. Another fake out. Yeah. We get the water tower, which is fake out. Which, I mean, I, I actually liked all of these fake outs because I liked... To me, it showed that there was some sense of the film kind of being self-aware. So he goes, oh, what's that? What's that? Oh, it's a water tower. Um, But he hears some noises. He gets a little scared. He says, back off, Jack. I've got a gun. I thought that was a nice little moment. And then his little brother jumps down from a tree and scares him and then runs off and laughs. And he's... He gets all mad and he's going to chase his little brother, but he hears his dog Bruiser barking at a ravine. So he follows the dog and he says, what's going on? The dog is looking in a ravine. The dog is barking at the ravine. David looks over the edge and he falls in. He gets knocked out. And then there is a really nice cut because you hear the train from the train tracks approaching and then it suddenly cuts out. And so you get a nice moment where the coverage changes, but the way that the coverage is edited, visually it doesn't look like time has passed. But the fact that the train whistle cuts out halfway through 
and changes to the creaking of crickets mm-hmm. does tell you the time has passed. So they actually do this interesting thing where the visual shorthand that they use suggests no time has passed, but the audio shorthand that they use suggests that some time has passed, which puts you in a confused state. I really like yeah. that. I I said, uh, I said, is this a Jacob's Ladder situation? I was like, is this guy, is this the rest of the movie just in his head? Did this boy just die and fall down in this <laughs> in this ravine? It sure seemed like it for a while. As we kept going, I was like, oh man, this is uh, this is a hellscape that this little child is thrown into. What happens is he climbs out of the ravine. He's like, oh fuck. He walks back home. He knocks on the door. He's yelling for his little brother because he thinks he's been gone. He doesn't know exactly how long, but it doesn't seem like that long. It's still dark out. It's still night. Might have been five minutes. Might have been 20 minutes. He's knocking on the door, and the door opens to reveal a strange woman. And the woman's like, hello, little boy. And then he freaks out, and he says, where are my parents? And he runs into the house, and he starts looking for his parents in his house. And the house is entirely different. There's all this different furniture there. Everything is weird and strange. And he runs upstairs and then he goes into the study upstairs. Which used to be his bedroom. Which used to be his bedroom. What is this guy doing? I I have that note too. Like, what is this man doing locked in a room alone in a house coat drinking whiskey? Looking out the window. Reading a newspaper. Yeah, reading a newspaper. I think he also has a pipe. Yeah. And he's listening Mm -hmm. to smooth jazz. It's a very interesting moment. Like, he's having a good evening. You don't just smoke a pipe, drink whiskey, and and listen to smooth jazz on a daily basis? And you're, like, three-quarters silk house rope? This guy had a plan for the evening. That's all I'm saying. Like, he got home, (laughs) and his wife is like, what do we got planned for tonight? And he's like, honey, I'm putting on the house coat. Yeah. Putting on the records. And I'm reading the paper. And, like, (laughs) you know, a scared 12-year-old boy was the last thing he expected to come running through that door. I will say, though... They were nice people, all things considered. If you were thrown in that situation, yeah, they were like not like freaking out too much. They weren't like exacerbating the situation. They were like, "Hey, are you okay? What can we do for you, kid?" That's kind of something we'll get into as this film goes on. But I actually, I know we've all touched on it. Was this film actually handles this situation very realistically, and that's what makes it so interesting to watch. So good, yeah, exactly. There's yeah, there's no like evil character. That maybe the NASA security guy, Faraday, to an extent, but not really. But like every like the cop that he meets, the his parents, everybody, the social worker, whatever it is, they're all like good people with good intentions. And it's kind of refreshing to watch that in a movie. I completely agree. I wrote out a bunch of notes on that where I felt like there's a version of this movie where he bursts into the house and the woman screams. Ah! And then yeah. the the husband chases him out. What are you doing in here? And you know It's and, back to the future with the guy with the baseball bat chasing after Marty McFly. Yeah. It's exactly the same plot where it's in the future yeah. and he goes to his house and there's a strange man there chasing him with a shotgun. But in this one, admittedly he's a small kid, but I mean yeah. I still feel like you could have done that in the script and it would have felt wrong but i feel like it would have easily been the obvious move but this script played it straight it it made these people behave in a completely reasonable fashion where they don't feel at all in danger because this is a small kid who's clearly having an episode and they just want to help they just want to be like that's actually what the man says is he just he says are you all right son calm down there's no need to be scared like and when he faints they just 
They're not calling the cops because they're scared. He just needs help. And when he gets to the police station, as Rob said, they're there to help him. Like, we'll get to the talk about Faraday, the NASA thing, but I just want to tie it in. Like, even the NASA characters who are the villains and Faraday who clearly does behave inappropriately, the movie doesn't try to exaggerate his negative characteristics. It doesn't try to make him no. evil so that the, the audience will be like, oh, he's a bad guy because he's a villain. He's, and in fact, there are certain- understandable in his motivations legitimately, right? And there are situations where you would see the movie would have an opportunity to say, oh, let's have him do a truly villainous thing so we can root against him. But instead, the character clearly doesn't want the kid to get hurt, wants the kid to be okay. It was so refreshing to see legitimately. Like- I, I, I was expecting, like, you know, evil stereotype tropes of, you know, people are like, you know, this kid's going to get tossed into foster care or something, whatever it is. And they're going to be like, you know, terrible police officers who are going to like, what are you scamming us? Like, you know, this kid died. Yeah. We'll get to that. But like, oh, yeah, you're from 1978. Yeah, right, buddy. Exactly. Right. And they didn't do that. And it was so good. Especially like mm-hmm. when we get to the police station scene and once because you know who Davey is. But you don't know what Davy's situation is, whereas the people in the police station know Davy's situation, but they don't know who Davy is. And so there, there is this really nice connection of, like, you know just about as much as they do, and they know as much as you do, and you're learning things as they're learning it, which is a really fun plot device. So the cops pick him up. Um, the cops run his name through the system. They find that he's a missing person, but he's a missing person from eight years ago because the year is now 1986, and he went missing in 1978. And they're a little confused by this, but they do have some information about his parents and their location. And so they take Davy to his parents. Um, in the car, they ask him to confirm a few things and they ask him, what year is it? And he says, 1978. And they say, okay, who's the president? And he goes, oh, it's Jimmy Carter. And they go, what? And it's like, <laughs> I feel like... The 1978 answer should have triggered that reaction. <laughs> Elicited that response. Yeah. I feel like they're just like, no 12-year-old kid would know the previous president's name. This kid must be for real. Doesn't Dave even say something to that point? Like, what does that have to do with any of this? Yeah, he's just, just like, that's a dumb question. Yeah. Because it is. <laughs> is this the point? They're they're cutting between, now you've got, the, you've got Davey in the cop car, and then uh, NASA... Uh, find the they find a the spaceship in the power plant. Um, yeah. So at the same time, it's revealed that NASA uh, has been brought in to take a look at what is clearly a spaceship. Because clearly it, a spaceship, it's the most obvious thing. And when Faraday shows up in his NASA issue cop car, complete with police sirens, when he shows up, there's a guy already on the scene and says, "Hey, you think this could be first contact?" Yeah, no shit this is first contact. That's <laughs> clearly a fucking spacecraft, right? That's an alien spaceship. And that's the other thing that I like so much about it. There was no kind of like beating around the bush about like, is it fake or what is this? Or it's like, it's crashed. It's clearly hovering. Like, it's yeah. like everyone shows up. They're like, oh, it's obviously a spaceship. Okay, let's just move past that. They did the three fake outs already. So now we're primed for it. We're expecting the real one. Yeah. We're a fair ways into this movie now. And then all of a sudden they're just like, oh yeah, here's a spaceship. Mm-hmm. You know, like they've been building up the tension, faked it out a few times. And then when they do reveal it, it's literally just a pan. Like, it's just the NASA guys walking, and the camera's just, yeah. like, panning and spaceship. I didn't even think they'd do the Sylvester Twinkle 
no. it's just like it's just like oh here's a spaceship it's just like they, they 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 did so many fake outs and it's just like and here it is we're not even going to focus on it there's one line of dialogue there that i did like because they show up and they're in like an electrical power plant and you can see a bunch of electrical towers have been knocked over and they're like on the ground and there's sparks flying out everywhere. And in the background, I think it looks like there's a, a large like generator that's been damaged and all this kind of stuff. And then one guy goes, here's the night watchman. He found it. Oh, fuck's sake, he found it. It's a fucking explosion. Everyone in a three mile <laughs> radius saw it. He didn't come across it in a pile of yeah, dirt. Half of the power grid is out right now. Like literally. Yeah, and that doesn't that doesn't get mentioned, which is like the one little thing that's missing. There is actually a mention of a power outage. In the cop, um, when he's in the police station, oh. there's a TV behind Davy and the oh, yeah, newscaster yeah, yeah. Yeah, is yeah, yeah. saying Sorry, you're right. I'm wrong. that there's a series of power outages along like the Florida coast. That's right. Never mind. I I, I forgot. This is this is the tightest script ever written. Never mind. I'm it's wrong. It's really <laughs> tight. A tight script. Holy crap. The police bring Davy to his parents' new home. And this is this is where I started to think that this they really put a lot of thought into this movie. The the screenwriters and the directors and everyone involved like this was like a lord of the rings passion project in some ways because (laughs) they drive up and these people used to be living in this beautiful cottage right on the water and now they're living literally underneath an overpass (laughs) i don't know if you notice this they're under an overpass but it's still waterfront yeah well it's waterfront in like a fucking port there's like sure. fucking steamers going, yeah. you know, like it is not nice. And I thought about that it's and I'm like, that they had a downgrade, but it's still waterfront. But what like, I'm saying <laughs> is that it really made me think, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it really made me think I'm like the shock of losing a child. Maybe one of the parents or both of the parents couldn't work for a while. Maybe they had to spend a lot of money searching for the kid. Like the fact that they have gone such mm-hmm. th- through such an obvious downgrade in their living experiences, I feel like is an intentional commentary of what their lives have been like the last eight years. And yeah. you don't even need to talk about it, but you can see the, what they've gone through. And it's it's distressing. They, even the way they've, they've styled the parents' hair and like the way they dress is, yeah, no, I, I completely re- I, I picked up on that right away that you're like, there has been a visual change to this family since this happened. Yeah. Like they have been living in shock and horror and you can see it in in every element of, of the production design. And I thought it was amazing. At that point in time, I actually thought that they were uh, going to reveal that either the parents had split up or one of them had died. Like, that was the type of movie. A lesser movie would have done that. Yeah, yeah I know. Right? But they didn't. They're still together. They still raised a, what seems to be a normal, pretty well-adjusted Reasonably kid. Reasonably well-adjusted kid, yeah. Right? All things considered. Again, just normal people ain't thrown into a crazy situation. But they now have haunted eyes. <laughs> they yeah, look exactly. like they haven't slept yeah. in eight years. And it's I, I really dug the first half of this movie. I thought it was good. This like I wanted I wanted honestly the 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 first half of this movie just to continue out through the whole thing. Even up to the way Davy is revealed to the parents where he comes running out of the cop car and you can see the cop is trying to stop that from happening. Not because mm-hmm. he doesn't want them to be together, because he knows this is gonna be a shock to the parents. It's gonna be insane. 
for all parties. And just, just, just the way that's handled, the way he runs out, and the way the dad pushes past the cop, and the mom like comes out in disbelief. Like as you say, it's, it's it, there is like you do. You see this awakening in like both the parents' eyes all of a sudden that you imagine hasn't been there for eight years. They never do anything with like, oh, this is an imposter. This isn't your kid. The parents immediately see him and immediately like, no, this is my kid. I know it. I'm in a hundred percent. It's never like they're horrified that he hasn't aged anything like that. They just accept him as their kid and love him again, unconditionally. That's amazing. I love there's a little scene when he goes to the hospital because he faints and they take him to the hospital to kind of figure out what in the hell is possibly going on. And he wakes up and his younger slash older brother, Jeff is there and he's reading like a biology book and he's clearly reading about hormones, about like <laughs> aging. <laughs> and he's like, you don't get much of it, but he's clearly trying to be like, what could possibly cause someone to never really? age? Yeah. I never saw that. That was, that's a, that's a cool little insert. He's like reading to himself and it's like about like lymph nodes. Or I'm something. appreciating the show on such a new level, Sean. Thank you so much. The parents are uh, going to leave him at the hospital to run some tests just because they want to figure out where he been because obviously whatever the explanation is it's probably very bad uh in fact <laughs> this is probably the best case scenario <laughs> oh i was actually only gone for four hours on a foreign planet is probably oh that's actually the least horrible thing i could have imagined would have happened to you for the last eight years right but uh they're gonna run some tests on him and the tests that they run uh they bring like a psychiatrist to ask him some questions they hook up some electrodes to his head and they end up getting some information out of his brain because his brain is transmitting information through alpha waves that he is not even really aware that he's doing. And the information ends up creating a uh, like a, a 3D vector graphic wireframe of the spaceship that NASA found in Florida. And that's coming out of his brain which seems like a weird thing to come out of a 12-year-old's brain. Um, so I just like, <laughs> It seems, you think? I'd just like to take this opportunity to pause and say I watched, uh, in kind of doing a little bit of background research for this, I watched this great YouTube video uh, by the channel uh, Captain Disillusion. Oh, cool. And he did a breakdown of the visual effects in... Uh, Flight of the Navigator, and I might mention a few things from that video, but one of the things that he talks about is that this wireframe graphic that appears on the screen that they're downloading out of this kid's brain is the actual wireframe graphic they created to do some of the CG effects of the ship itself. They just reused the actual underlying wireframe. That's really fun. That's really cool. I, I actually made a note here about this wireframe thing. Uh, because it's coming out of his brain, right? As you said, and it's printing out on this thing. And then it cuts hard cut to NASA having this thing in their hands going, this came out of a seven-year-old boy's head or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, how the did they get that? How did they get that thing? They're playing fast and loose with the timeline. And they do for a little while here. They're jumping around the timeline. They just jump ahead because, you know, the script requires it. But it all makes sense. But it was pretty funny. I was like, this is 19, well, 83 or whatever it is. 86. Uh, 1986. 86. And I'm they like, faxed it. There's... they faxed it. That's what I'm it was. They faxed <laughs> it. I'm telling you. they. You print out a spaceship from a kid's brain. What's the first thing you do? Fax that to NASA. You, you live in Florida. What else are you going to do? Oh sure, yeah, you live in Florida. That's right. Spaceship, we're gonna we're gonna fax it to NASA security. I mean there's okay. two things in Florida. It's either NASA or Disney. 
And this movie's got them both. <laughs> NASA picks up on it and then they show up because they're like, holy shit, this is the same thing we found. This kid's obviously connected to it. They go to pick up the kid and they talk to the family. And I just want to point out, I don't understand this part. As much as I love a lot in this movie, this scene seems like a horrible mistake, whoever decided this. They shoot this sequence where NASA comes to meet with the family in like an outdoor cafe at a waterfront mm -hmm. and they shot it with what are clearly operating motorboats in the background because there was no usable sound from that day. This yeah. entire scene is ADR'd and at the beginning I'm like, oh wow, a lot of ADR. Wonder what happened to the sound that day. And then in the coverage you can see like behind Davy there's just a bunch of motorboats driving around <laughs> and I'm like, oh that's what happened. The Norwegian uh, team was like, we have to get stuff that looks like Florida so we'll shoot here on the waterfront in Florida and then it was on some sort of slow day or whatnot where there was no boats and then when they went to go film it was just like boats, 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 boats. Yeah, you're probably right. That's probably it. They had limited time to shoot in Florida and they're like, we gotta take it. In this scene though, I really liked his parents. Again, going back to they just seem like normal people making sound decisions. Yeah. They just did the reasonable thing, which is so refreshing for a film, right? They just were good parents who just got their kid back. They love their child. They're not just being like, hey, hey, Davey, uh, NASA's calling. Go spend as much time with him as you want. They're like, he's our son. You get him for two days. If you do anything else, we're coming for you. And because there's there's a logical reason why they'd want some answers here that NASA is exactly. suggesting that they can provide. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's very refreshing. I think perhaps the fact that the script is so committed to having everyone behave in reasonable ways and not imposing uh kind of movie logic movie logic i think maybe is part of the reason why the second half of the movie isn't as thrilling as it might be uh but hmm. we'll get there later <laughs> we will <laughs> that's the reason why it's not well, so thrilling. i think well part of the thing about the second half of the movie is that there's no stakes but we'll get to it yes so they're pulling up into nasa and he can hear voices coming from the hangar and Fuck, I thought this was creepy as shit. I thought this movie was so mysterious. The mm -hmm. first half of this movie, you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea what happened to this kid. You don't know what this spaceship's about. And then he's driving into NASA and he's hearing these mysterious voices coming from a foreboding hangar. Like, come on. This is intense. Yeah. It was awesome. He gets into NASA and um, they uh, they have a little room for him and they've given him some toys to try to make him feel at home and, and try to calm him down so that he's not upset about being there and away from his family. Something I actually liked about this scene, which again, just kind of like plays into the way the script is written is all of the toys are for things that Davey doesn't know what they are. Yeah. It's filled with Transformers toys. And the one thing he picks up is the NASA hat because he knows what that is. No, but you're right. Like, that's so amazing. It's a bunch of 80s toys that he doesn't recognize. And it's going to the fact that NASA, as much as they clearly don't want harm to come to the kid, and as much as they might have greater good intentions at heart and think they're doing the right thing, they also aren't really caring about the kid. They're not thinking about how this is affecting the kid and the toys are evidence of that because they're not even giving toys that the kid will understand it's a really good example um so he gets in there he takes his super fancy remote control wand he turns on the tv okay can we can we go back for just one very quick second when yep. faraday closes the door to say goodbye 
NASA has spaceship doors. <laughs> they have the Star Trek next generation. They make the Star Trek they sound. They make the Star Trek sound, and I loved it's it. It's great. Well, NASA doesn't only have spaceship doors. <laughs> they also have <laughs> my favorite character in the movie, who is now introduced. Ralph. Ralph. We, we get another robot with another acronym. Yes. The Robotic Assistant Labor Facilitator. And so I just have to stop here. So I guess just a brief explanation. Sarah Jessica Parker is introduced she brings in a little robot buggy that is self-driving apparently and she refers to as ralph it apparently can operate based on voice commands because she tells it to do things and it kind of slowly does them drives in the direction she says and this is 1986 and my question is this what was going on in the mid-80s that made everybody think <laughs> that personal robots were right around the corner? What do you mean, Polly from Rocky IV? This is Rocky IV. <laughs> this, this, is, this is the Rocky IV robot. That's exactly the note I have, too. Uh, we all made that note. <laughs> this is the, if I don't have a robot in my movie, I'm going to look like an idiot. Yeah. When all these robots are everywhere and my movie looks old by comparison. The best part about Ralph is that he is a robotic assistant labor facilitator, as you said. Uh, but he does nothing. He's a glorified cart because you still require a human <laughs> operator there. Yeah. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, that's so this this was my notes. This is what I wrote. What can this robot do? And then underneath, it has the powers of a tray with wheels. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It, it, for now, we'll, we'll, we'll get to what Ralph can do later because I have several notes about what is coming. But yeah, they were really, they were out over their skis on this one. They were like, let's invest a billion dollars in robots. And they got Ralph, <laughs> which is a tray with wheels. And Sarah Jessica Parker has to attend at all no, times. No, she just walks beside. The thing about Ralph is that I've seen Ralph now in like hotels. They have Ralphs. If you've ever been to a hotel in maybe like the last 10 years or so, uh, hotels have Ralphs. And I'm sure office buildings now have Ralphs. But they only got Ralphs like about 10 years ago. This is technology that is like 20 teens technology. And I just don't know why in 1986 there were like, we got to put this in there, you know. NASA's ahead of its game. Well, it's 30 years ahead of its game, apparently, but still. Remember the movie The Island? Yeah, the Michael Bay's The Island with uh, Ewan McGregor and Ewan McGregor and Ewan McGregor. <laughs> and Sean Bean. Yeah. And uh, remember his smart table that he had? It was a whole table that was basically an iPad. Oh, uh, yeah. That, I mean, that came out uh, 2005 or something. We're not quite full there yet but it's probably uh, coming. we're going on a tangent here sorry go ahead uh, okay that is actually a lie um because i when a group of us went down to the emp museum of a couple years ago in seattle a couple years like 11 years ago now they had all the props from avatar set up and you know how avatar has the giant ipad table where they throw the tablet down and a bunch of pictures show up and they move the picture and can stretch it out and put it on the different parts of the table that is a working prop because I got to play with it at the EMP museum. And so iPad tables do exist if you're James Cameron and need it for one shot of your movie. <laughs> he probably invented it himself. Yeah. While he was at the bottom of the ocean. What do you what do you mean probably? 
<laughs> while he was in the descent down to the ocean, he just sketched yeah. it up himself. And by, by, by the time he like got back up from the bottom of the ocean, he had the table in the subway. He had a working prototype <laughs> he made with spare submarine parts. Maybe the guy who invented the Ralphs that we have now in Best Westerns was watching <laughs> Flight of the Navigator, <laughs> and he's like, why don't we have Ralphs? <laughs> and so that's why yeah, when that's you go to fair. a Best Western... But apparently it, it took a long time to put some robotic wheels yeah. on a <laughs> car. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and her robot sidekick finally leave. She's she's nice to Ralph. Uh, not Ralph. That's a robot. Well, she's nice to the robot too, but she's nice to Davies. Yeah. She's nice to Ralph. They're coworkers. <laughs> They're coworkers. <laughs> um, but she's nice to the kid. Like it's the eighties, so Ralph probably got paid more. <laughs> Hi-oh. It's funny. I actually I I read a little thing after the fact. We can get into this, but I guess in like a podcast about four years ago, somebody asked her like what drew her to this film, and her response was, "It's a film." Are you kidding me? It was a paycheck. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I was a young actress who needed experience. They hired me. I did the job. I, she's like, I can't tell you what the film's about. Don't even remember my character's name. It was a paycheck. Yeah. And I and I, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just loved her honesty about it. Why wouldn't you? You're getting you're a you're an upcoming you're well you're a struggling actor whatever it is. You're probably just a waiter at that point in time, and uh, you get cast in a Disney well a Norwegian. <laughs> Norwegian independent film? Okay, maybe maybe not. Can you imagine the upgrade? Can you imagine? (laughs) Your age is like, Sarah, Sarah, there's not a lot of work coming in. You got to do this Norwegian independent film. And so she goes and she does it. And then like six months later, she's going to the Cineplex and it's like Disney's Flight of the Navigator. She's like, what? They paid me in Norwegian crones. (laughs) There was a fun little joke in this scene, which at the time is a very modern joke, but by today's standards dates it horribly, um, is when she's trying oh, to explain yeah. to him she doesn't know he doesn't know what music videos are. He asks if he can watch Starsky and Hutch and she was like, kid, they canceled that show like six years ago. And basically lists off of things a list of things he doesn't understand, doesn't know. Again, the toys he doesn't play with. So he doesn't play with, bands he's never heard of, why her hair is pink. Yeah. And she says, Well is there anything else I can get you? He said, Well, a Big Mac or fries and a large Coke, assuming that's still a thing. And she says, Oh, is that Diet Coke, Vanilla Coke, Cherry Coke, or the new Coke? Or Coke Classic, yep. Yeah, or Coke Classic. And I was like, she mentioned the new Coke, which would have been this wonderful, fantastic, modern joke as a play of like, ha, we have the new Coke now, which we do not have today. The other thing she mentions is when she talks about her pink hair, she says that she went to the Twisted Sister concert. Yeah. And then uh, David says, oh, I've never heard of her. And she goes, actually, it's a him. And he goes, oh, and then she goes, actually, it's a them. And honestly, when I first heard that, I was like, that's very progressive for a 1986. <laughs> I didn't know D. Snyder used they, them pronouns. <laughs> and then I stopped and I was like, oh, no, wait, she means the plural them because it's a band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, I mean, we've been up in the, the quality of the script. It's not that that forward thinking, Sean. <laughs> so anyway, they NASA then does their tests on him. They He'll come up to a bigger computer which has more knobs and spinning wheels. And this more knob computer uh, asks, they ask him some questions and his subconscious answers those questions. They ask him, where has he been? And he says, in analysis mode on Phalon, which I don't know. I just love, I just, I just love the way that the science fiction is, is, is provided in this movie. Like it's just in analysis mode on Phalon. That's just a sentence to me that sounds cool. That's a sci-fi sentence. And then they say, like, where is Phalon? 
and it says 560 light years away. And then they say, how long did it take you to get to Phalon? And they say 2.2 solar hours. And so that is when NASA says, oh my God, it's relativity. He was traveling faster than light. And so he traveled to Phalon in 2.2 hours and he traveled back in 2.2 hours. And because he was traveling faster than light, uh, rules of relativity state that eight years passed on Earth, but only 4.4 years or 4.4 hours passed for him. So that's why he hasn't aged in the past eight years. It's interstellar. Yeah, it's basically interstellar, but in a 1986 Disney kids film. And I dug the crap out of it. It's awesome. It was it's so, so good. good. It was so yeah, good. Yeah, I, I got to agree. And like you say, this like fun little thing of David not under David not answering the questions, but he's answering the questions. Like you, you, you know more than he does for a brief second. Again, it's it's so fun to watch, and the way they handle it is good. I do have one like little brief note. He calls his family very quickly, and yeah. the oh, doctor's yeah. on yeah. the line listening. And you get profanity in a Disney movie. Jeff tells Davy not to take any more of their shit. Oh yeah, you get, you get profanity. And I actually looked into it, and this is one of two Disney movies under their entire banner to contain profanity. I don't remember what the other one is. I actually do know. You do? I mean, excluding the fact the fact that the black hole contains hell, but the other one that I believe has shit in it is Popeye, which was a co-production with Disney. Oh, I didn't know that. Robert really? Altman's Popeye. Uh, there we go. Yeah. Really? So um, David runs off after all of this information comes out because he's shocked. And I, w- I will like to point out that David keeps Luke Skywalkering through every single scene around here because every single time something happens, he screams, that's impossible, and then runs away. <laughs> so he goes back to his room and he asks Carolyn for help. Now, here I do have a question. I don't know if this is a problem with the script or whether it's just intentionally vague or whether I'm an idiot, but... I don't know what happens here because he asks Carolyn to get him out because Carolyn, Sarah Jessica Mm -hmm. Parker tells him that he's now booked in for the rest of the week. He won't be going home tomorrow because NASA has decided they need more than 48 hours to study him. Well, Faraday said it's not going to be enough time. So, yeah. Yeah. So he tells Carolyn to help him escape. He does something that I'm so happy he did. He points out that the mirror in his room is a two-way mirror. He says, I've seen TV shows. I know what you're doing. He's a smart kid. It's a smart script. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. He's seen TV shows. He also says previously his favorite show is Starsky and Hutch. Of course he's seen two-way mirrors. Yeah. It's a cop drama, right? Yeah. 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 It's great. They're, NASA's not giving you enough credit. And even just the plot device of, you know, they have, he, he closes the curtain and hides, stands just enough in the corner so that they can't see what he's doing. But because he's a kid, they underestimate yeah. him. This is like some horror movie where this kid is out of time. He comes back, finds his family's aged eight years. Everyone thought he was dead. They had a funeral for him. And he's just like, what is going on with me? Now I'm being kidnapped by a secret government organization. Um, And he's just trying to survive. This first half of the movie is amazing. Yes. Okay. So we're getting near the end of this first half of the movie. And he asked Carolina for help. And this is the part where I said, I don't understand what happens because he hears a voice again from the hangar. And the voice says, help me. Are you coming? And then the voice says, get in the Ralph unit. And then the Ralph unit arrives through the door. And so what I don't understand is, did Carolyn 
help him escape or was this all manufactured by the alien ship who sent the ralph unit i have that exact same note i was like is sarah jessica parker in on this i thought that too and then because i had a very similar note because do you mind if i just read my 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 series of next notes capital letters 80s montage (laughs) because from this moment on we have the rocky montage of him (laughs) getting inside ralph and closing the door and then driving off, and it cuts from different parts of him driving across the base. And they make it a montage. It is a 1980s montage with Rocky-style music. Alan Silvestri is doing a lot of the heavy lifting during this action scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I have as my note. I said, I have two notes. I said, slowest escape scene in history. And then my second note is, but Silvestri kicks in those 80s beats. Yes, he does. Because it's such a comically ridiculous scene. It's so Ralph funny. drives so fucking slowly. It Ralph is driving slower than a walking pace, and there's plenty of shots <laughs> that like show people out walking Ralph. But Silvestri <laughs> has scored this with like <laughs> and it's like this slow little fucking robot. Because David has climbed in and he's escaping in Ralph as it slowly makes its way down the NASA hallways and Sylvester goes. And it cuts. It cuts between takes of him at different parts of the parking lot. Oh, it's amazing. As far as you know, this is a seven minute. This is a five minute drive. It could be done in real time almost. I mean, I think the sun sets while he's driving across the parking lot. They let Ralph into the building. Ralph has security clearance into the most restricted <laughs> of the space. They get to the restricted area with a nuclear hazard sign on it. So does this mean that Ralph outranks Sarah Jessica Parker? Ralph, Ralph outranks Sarah Jessica Parker because security just buzzes him into the building. <laughs> when they get to the area that says restricted area, radioactive, do not enter. It is a chain link fence that is not locked and is open. I loved everything about this montage. Okay, so this tight script breaks down a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) This is where the movie should pick up. This is the moment where the movie should be like, oh my god, we're about to figure out everything that's happening. We are almost halfway through this movie, and we have not yet had a flight of a navigator, right? It it is just this drama about a kid unstuck or uh, traveling through time, right? And, uh, and I'm like, all right, it's about to get great. Here's where all of the science fiction, the spaceship, the flight comes in. You mentioned that we're almost halfway through the movie. I want to point this out. I sent you guys a screen grab to prove this just before yeah. we started recording because it kind of blew my mind. It was crazy. Yeah. David sneaks into the hangar bay and he finds the ship. This ship, uh, as soon as David approaches it, It then morphs into liquid metal to create a staircase that David can climb into the spaceship. At the moment that David steps on the first stair of the staircase, we are 44 minutes and 48 seconds into the movie, and there remains 44 minutes and 48 seconds. He steps onto the staircase at exactly to the second, the halfway point of the movie. And structurally, I, it's, a, it's a standard screenplay structure that the halfway point gives you a turn. The halfway point shifts the focus of the movie and gives you a different perspective of what you've been seeing. And this movie, to, to the, the second... second. Gives you the before the spaceship and then after the spaceship. I'm telling you, this screenplay is 
tight, man. He steps onto the spaceship and it's entirely reflective chrome inside. It looks amazing. I also like how it's obviously a TARDIS because it's like way bigger on the inside. Floating stairs. I want to go back to that uh, because they were really well done. Those float, like the CGI, I, I you said you're going to reference uh, more about it, but I was like, this is actually very well done for 1986. They've got a lot of the reflections are great. And then I know it's just a uh, camera trick where they created stairs and they put, uh, you know, a support under it where the camera will not see them as the camera pans up him walking it. But it's so effective. Yeah, it is so effective to make them it look is. like they're actually floating that I was like 100% yeah. into it. And this, this, this is the this is the first film to use that you mentioned the reflections. Uh, this is the first film to ever like use technology to actually do that from what I read as well. So just to be clear, because this is interesting, because there is a lot of background here. The stairs morphing in this scene isn't CGI. Ugh. That is actually stop. That is actually stop motion. Really? Using metallic that is clay. so cool. Holy crap. It's stop motion that... Um, is uh, being combined with the plates of the shot on the day. As you said, when he's stepping onto these levitating plates, those are kind of hidden cantilevered support systems that the camera angle is Mm -hmm. omitting. So it looks like the plates are floating, but he's actually stepping onto steps that have these supports on them. The next scene where the ship transforms its shape. Do you mean the shot they reused? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That was cgi that and the subsequent scene were the first uh computer generated images to use computer generated uh reflective surfaces where the 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 computer would calculate what the reflections would look like on this 3d metallic surface i'm still blown away by the practical reflective metallic stop motion that is do you know how (laughs) you touch your fridge or an appliance or piece of steel how much like oils come off your hands and they were molding this reflective stairs into it. And they basically had to probably like spray that thing with Windex before every single shot, wipe it clean. That is so cool. I will say Rob, uh, although you seem to not have enjoyed the second half so much, I do know what you're talking about, but I will say that when I was a kid, I loved the second half of this movie. Yeah. I loved it so much. It's just a fucking kid flying a spaceship around the world listening to the Beach Boys. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I adored it. And in fact, I thought the first half was a little creepy and slow. Rewatching as an adult, I think the first half is fucking amazing. And the second half is, eh, I can take it or leave it. I don't think the second half is particularly bad, but I do know what you're saying where the second half maybe doesn't live up to what the first half was setting up. The f- can we can we just get right to it now? The flight of the navigator is him going from like Arizona to Florida. That is the entire flight of the well, navigator. He goes to Tokyo and then he goes back to Texas. Sure, okay, he goes a little bit around, but he's in a spaceship. But he ends up when he actually gets control of the ship and saying, "I want to go home." He's like in the desert somewhere, and he goes from like Arizona. To Florida. So, yeah, just to explain what happens, he gets in the ship and there is a robotic eye puppet. Uh, This eye puppet can move around the ship. Um, It kind of looks like the eye that standing guard at 
Jabba's palace that opens the door that goes oh, oh yeah um, it's pretty cool and it's being voiced by uh, as you said Paul Rubens uh, and it starts off and he's not doing his Pee Wee Herman voice he's doing a very deep and slow and robotic voice as mm-hmm. this character that is he refers to himself as the Trimaxian drone ship and so David says oh I'll call you Max and what he says is that I took you to our home planet to be studied. The moment he fell down that ravine, right, after after Jeff scared him and I guess, is are we led to believe that uh, the dog was barking at the spaceship? I think so. I think that's what makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Or the dog just knew. Dogs know things, man. Dogs are smart. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Um, so he took the kid back to his home planet to be studied along with a bunch of other aliens he's picked up a bunch of aliens from all around the galaxy and he's got them in his little uh cupboard and that that's what they do they they study these people and then they take them back to their planet he dropped off the kid but two things happened first of all when they took the kid to his home planet to study him they found that the humans only use such a small (laughs) portion of their brain and it's the uh 10% 10% of the brain yeah. theory. Yeah, it's it's the uh, Scarlett Johansson, I'm going to become a god because I learned so much theory. I'm going to turn into the internet. These aliens are like, what would happen if we just put a fucking computer in there? Um, <laughs> that's basically the plot. They're like, oh, we wanted to know what would happen if we just dumped a bunch of star charts in your head. And then he says, what did happen? And he was like, oh, you started leaking, so we took you home. <laughs> so it's funny because like... There isn't any big underlying story. That's what I loved about mm-hmm. it, is that there isn't mm-hmm. like, he's a chosen one, or he has to save the galaxy or save a race of humans. It's just, no, we're aliens. We studied you. We thought it was weird that you are so dumb. Uh, we tried to make you, <laughs> we tried to put a bunch of shit in your brain. It didn't really work. So we were like, fuck it. Let's take it And like, home. also, like, I, I love the, I mean, literally behind the curtain that, like, Davy doesn't clock it, but for eight of his human years, he was in that cupboard <laughs> with the rest of the yeah. aliens. He wasn't. He wasn't, though, because... Everyone else was. Relatively. They're all in stasis. Relatively, he was in there for four yeah, hours. Yeah, relatively, but he was in the cupboard for a while. He was in there for four... He was in that He was in that cupboard for four hours. Yeah. And then when the ship dropped him off, it then unfortunately had an accident where he crashed into that electrical pl- power plant. Lost its star charts. It lost its star charts. So... As part of the accident, it lost its memory, and so it needs to re-download those star charts from David's brain. He also says that uh, he would normally have dropped Davy off back at the exact moment that he picked him up, so no time would have lapsed. Okay. Right? So now we're getting into the part of the movie that I hate. (laughs) The time travel plot? I fucking hate the time travel plot, but I, I hate it for multiple reasons, but the first reason that I hate it is that... When they first started explaining this plot, I thought it was so fucking funny that these aliens didn't care. Because why the fuck would they care? You know, they're picking up these small fucking lower life forms. They're studying them. From a reasonable perspective, if a scientist picks up a frog, studies the frog, then takes the frog back to the lake where it found it, the scientist thinks it's doing a good thing. (laughs) The scientist doesn't think, what are all the frogs going to say? Where did this other frog go? I have to take this frog back in time or else it's this frog isn't going to get along with its family anymore. The scientist doesn't care about that. The scientist doesn't think about that. And I, for a second, I was like, that is amazing that these aliens don't give a shit about the trauma they've caused to this kid because they don't even clock it. They don't even think about it. They're like, we're taking you back home. We're good. We're good aliens. Yeah. But then they introduce this whole thing where it's like, oh, well, normally we would take you back to your original time, but human 
bodies don't go through time very well. Your frail anatomy couldn't handle it. And I was like, oh, no, that's dumb. It is dumb, especially when you look at the other creatures that are in that cage. There is some sort of slug that has a cold that basically can't do anything. Yeah. And it's like, that thing can survive time travel, but a human body can't? Well, it's it's stupid from a plot machination. And I think it's also just extremely frustrating from a character, you know, and plot point. Like, it didn't need to happen. Like, you know, we're skipping ahead to... I, I, I won't skip ahead. We'll talk about it at the ending. But the whole thing about time travel, I just don't think it needs to be there. I think... The movie would have made perfect sense if the aliens just didn't even think about it. If they were just like, yeah, that'd be really cool. We took, we're taking you back home. What's the difference? Well, it's been eight years. Yeah. Well, my parents are eight years older. Yeah. Yeah, but you're alive. <laughs> yeah, like like, you like they just don't register the social implications. You're healthy. You're in the exact same spot in the exact same condition. Yeah. Uh, as you, again, you it's like a in, scientist what's, what's taking a frog back. The scientist would be like, "What? Why do you ca-? like? You're back. I did my job." We 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 we, we skipped this one little weird part where uh, the the actual escape where he escapes NASA. Okay. And yeah. Talk about it. When they realize the ship is turned on and everything's going and all of NASA, NASA security shows up. 50 armed guards show up with handguns and assault rifles and all point them at a 12-year-old boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually liked that, though. I thought that was quite realistic. <laughs> it was, especially because they don't know what the ship is doing. And I went, oh, this is just like that scene in E.T. E.T. came out two years before this movie did. The Black Hole, Star Wars, E.T., Flight of the Navigator. I think E.T. is a good comparator just to point out the fact that they spend more time, like, humanizing the villains in this like nasa like in et the villains are very they're from the kids perspective so they're very cold they don't really explain anything they kind of like march in and they're scared you don't know what they're going to do but in this movie again just like robbie was saying earlier i really appreciated how they give you the time to kind of see what nasa is thinking and understand nasa's motivation and understand that although Maybe we're not supposed to agree with them or defend their actions. You can understand why they're doing what they're doing from their perspective. It plays into what you just said of they're scientists. They're not thinking of the emotional impact they're having. This is something that needs to be studied and looked at. So that's exactly what you just said. The other thing that jumped out at me um, from that scene, I don't know if it was just me, but I really liked it. When they first brought in the spaceship, everyone's in hazmat suits, which is one of those things that I've kind of flagged and I said, ah, that, you know, it's just the kind of attention to detail where it's like the scientists, they're not just bringing in a spaceship, you know, it's a bit more of a care that's being brought to this world to treat it seriously. And then when the kid gets in the spaceship and the NASA security guards are kind of sitting there, they're like reading a book and then they look over and they see that the door of the spaceship's open. They're like, holy fuck. And they flip the alarm and then everyone starts running out. There's a shot where it comes back and they're running into the hangar bay and they have the like hazmat suits halfway on. <laughs> and it's just funny because they're like, they're not fully dressed yet, but they're like, oh, got to put on the hazmat suit, but also alien ship is taking off. <laughs> um, that was, uh, you said when they brought the ship in, uh, they're trying to get into it, right? Um, 
And they say, we've tried everything, sir. And it's just like some guy with a blowtorch and a grinder. Apparently, those are the only two things they tried to get into the spaceship. <laughs> it's impregnable. We tried blowtorch. We tried grinder. We're all out of ideas. Oh, oh, okay, but no, here's the thing. As somebody who worked in scrap metal for four years, um, it's not just a blowtorch. It's a cutting torch. And that is a way to cut metal in half, as they do have a torch that gets so molten hot it cuts metal in half and i have never i haven't done any torching but i have used uh a chop saw with a giant grinding disc to cut steel in half so that is actually what you would do and this has been torch time with bob (laughs) (laughs) i'm imagining like short of that the thing right before was some guy with a crowbar and he was just trying to reef on the door and that was the three things they did the next thing coming shot we didn't get was like of the like the at like the giant shear machine that is just an excavator that's a giant pair of scissors ready to cut a hole. <laughs> that was the next thing NASA had on the planet. I guess remember uh, Independence Day? They never actually got into the spaceship. Um, and how long did they have it? Oh yeah, it was in there for yeah, like decades. I guess they should have tried the those shears, Bobby. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. Like ex- like a set of shears, like the uh, excavator shear, got in that thing, no problem. Tune in next week to <laughs> Torch Time with Bob. <laughs> I I, I I like the sequence of before the brain download happens. I actually – it's kind of goofy and silly. Um, but I, I kind of like this weird playfulness of like you get to – you get to – like you, you get a good understanding of the ship. And as you say that the ship doesn't have emotions. The ship is a ship set out to do a job and it says it's there to do a job and it questions him on things. It says, well, what is – happy what is sad and it and you know it learns i i mean it was stupid but i liked the bit where it learned how to speak cow that actually got a chuckle out of me so then the ship does download these star charts from david's brain and so this is what i was saying about stakes so at this point it's interesting because there's still probably like 30 minutes left in the movie 20 minutes left 25 and the movie's over. The ship has got the star charts out of David's brain and it can leave. David, he can go home to his family. You know, there's the question about what NASA is going to do. But as we, the audience, have seen, they're probably not going to kidnap him. You know, the movie is essentially over. But what happens is, is that the ship says, well, I'll drive you home. And then it doesn't Wait. know how to do that. Yeah, because when he downloaded the star charts, he managed to download a bunch of human emotions and personality. Uh, and so now he's kind of an idiot. And this is where now he's Pee Wee Herman, Herman. Yeah, comes into full fledge. And it just sounds and acts entirely like Pee Wee Herman. My exact note is this film gets really annoying really quickly. <laughs> I actually really liked this movie up until this point, And... I have blocked like the last bit of it out almost because I it got it annoyed the life out of me. I don't disagree with you. I will say that as a kid, I really liked it. Uh, I loved this part of the movie as a kid. Um, it really is only about 10, 15 minutes. So it's, <laughs> it's not like it's a huge portion of the movie, but I know what you're saying. I will like to say a few things. So this Pee Wee Herman ship doesn't know how to take him home, so it goes on a joyride. That's essentially what this is. The third act of this movie is essentially the ship going on this joyride around the planet, not for a very good reason other than it's just wacky hijinks. Um, and while it's doing it, it keeps doing a bunch of pop culture references like it's the genie from Aladdin. And these references, it presumably is pulled out of David's brain. Now, when I heard them, I thought to myself, wow, I, this movie had been doing so well the script had been so tight and now they're clearly pulling references that are 
historically incorrect because I really doubt these are references that would be appropriate for the kid to know in 1978 because the references are he does the McDonald's Big Mac commercial, two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, and a sesame seed bun, which is the commercial Homer Simpson sings when he imagines himself with a recording studio. He does a reference to Steve Martin's comedy routine where he does his excuse (laughs) me punchline. He references uh, Don Rickles calling people a hockey puck. He references the rice-a-roni jingle, the San Francisco treat. I kept saying, well, somebody's got like the Big Mac commercials got to be from the 80s. No, the Big Mac commercial is from 1975. And then I said, well, that's Steve Martin routine. That has to be from the 80s, right? Actually, that Steve Martin routine premiered in 1977 on his album, Let's Get Small, which means it would have been the newest comedy album he would have had when he (laughs) was kidnapped. It's almost a perfect reference. And the San Francisco Rice-A-Roni jingle is from the 60s and has been playing nonstop basically for 40 years. So all of these things seem actually accurate to have pulled from this kid's brain from 1978, uh, which kind of blew my mind, to be perfectly honest. That is kind of cool. I mean, I don't know how much it is too, but the when they're watching The Price is Right, they're actually watching a syndicated episode from the 1970s because it's a different host. Oh, wow. I didn't know I didn't notice that one but yeah see that's exactly it it's amazing that's I just love that I love the attention to detail so they fly around a lot and then eventually he uh parks the spaceship so that he can go to a payphone and call home to get directions and there's a <laughs> nice little ET joke reference here because he tells this guy at the gas station that he has to make a phone call cuz he has to call home And this gas station attendant is watching uh, this spaceship land and he's quite shocked about it. And this other family pulls up and they watch the kid run away from the payphone, get back into spaceship and fly away. And this new family goes, what was that? And the gas station attendant goes, he landed and said he needed to phone home i wrote that down too i actually and i had to think about it after the fact that the actor that played big al honestly crushed it (laughs) um i was great he had one line but it was hilarious well but that's the thing is like those are the hardest roles to do the roles where you have one or no lines of dialogue completely silent role and he he absolutely crushes it he doesn't even move (laughs) you know he hands he hands davy the change without looking at him yeah i was like that guy nailed it those roles are so hard to do yeah so he gets directions home and then now we get the payoff to the fireworks so these fireworks that were set up in the first act the Chekhov's gun of the fireworks are finally going to pay off because his little younger older brother Jeff is going to go on the roof and set off the fireworks from their home so that they can see them from their spaceship. Davy gets a map at Big Al's and they basically just take the I-95 back to Fort Lauderdale which (laughs) <laughs> Again, the flight of the navigator is just them taking the highway to Florida. I know, it's funny. I like it. <laughs> I really like it. I think it's funny. I did. I didn't. Yeah, like I say, I I didn't mind this. This is because this is around the point where the film stops being annoying. Yeah, it's basically like a fifteen-minute yeah gap in there, which is for the kids. The movie then kind of gets back on track where he's got to go home now. So he flies back to his house mm-hmm. and his brother's going to set off the fireworks and there's a little ticking clock because he has to get the fireworks working in time even though they're eight years old so none of them work. I, I do have a note that it's like oh he's going to use eight year old fireworks and then none of them seem to work. 
Which is what would happen if they're eight years old. Exactly. Uh, but, but that, again, level of detail in this script. But he does get one of them off, and they see the fireworks, and so they know where to land. And then... Then a fucking movie breaks my heart. Oh my god. Basically, we're at the ending here, and I fucking hate it so much. Does anyone else want to say something, or should I just describe it? No, just go for it, man. Okay, so he gets there, and Nassau has beaten him there. Okay, so Nassau, obviously, they went to his parents' house first, and they're waiting for him, and he sees Nassau, and he says, they're never going to leave me alone. And then he... His parents run out and they're like, David, David, come down, come out of the spaceship, come to us. And he says, I'm sorry, I don't belong here anymore. And he gets back in the spaceship and he fucking flies away. And what he says from his perspective is he says, I want to go back in time, even though it's dangerous. And you say that I might not survive it. I want to try going back in time. So they try to go back in time and they succeed. They go back in time. What bothers me is I don't know what rules of time travel they're operating by, but what if two things happened to this family? (laughs) One, they never saw their child again. So they live in a world where their child disappeared. They had a funeral for him. He reappeared for two days. (laughs) Was kidnapped by the government. Appeared in a spaceship and said, I don't belong here anymore and flies away. Breaks my heart. The other alternative, if they're living in looper rules, is that they slowly dissolve while remembering all the horrible things that have happened to them as their brains collide with both the past and the future and they scream trying to comprehend two realities at once. As much as I see why that bothers you and why is it a a deus ex machina, this is actually the moment where Davy grows as a person and he has his full arc realizing that he is never, he may be alive in this timeline, but he's never going to be allowed to live. He says, they're never going to let me go. I'm going to be studied for the rest of my life. And he's never going to, from his perspective, he's never going to be with his family. So he's willing to take the risk knowing what he knows now. And I, I, it just, it seems so selfish to me, like as a character choice. And I know he's 12. Like, I'm not honestly holding it against this kid. If I was 12 (laughs) and it was like, do you want to live in a horrible future where NASA's chasing you and everybody's eight years, your younger brother is fucking 16 or do you want to go back to where you were i'd be like go back to where i was thank you very much i want to go back and eat those burgers um and i wouldn't really think twice about it but just objectively watching the film now i'm just like that poor family oh god i feel so bad and it is too and you 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 missed the other they don't exist anymore that's even worse you guys missed the other time theory where there's now multiple timelines within the multiverse where there is a timeline that forever exists where they lost, got back, and then lost their son again. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's that's the first option that yeah. what I'm saying that this timeline always exists now. Like the, like like that, that's that that's the Rick and Morty rules. Yeah, where he just disappeared again. Or there's the Looper rules where there's only one timeline, and when you go back and change it, like they slowly squish together, and people like have to deal with body limbs falling apart as they're like no my nose is falling off that's specifically looper probably didn't happen to that family but still <laughs> they would just have less bags under their eyes Sean. that's what this one would be they'd go through like a benjamin button scenario <laughs> they would just be like oh why do i feel so much better oh yeah i don't have the stresses of looking for my child for the past eight years now here's my theory as to why he actually wants to travel back in time 
Um, because as it has been established, Davy is a pervert who has a telescope pointed I, at the water. I was gonna, I was, I could clock this. As soon as you said this is your theory, I was like, it's because of the telescope, isn't it? He knows that in 1986, he's the same age as Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> he knows what she looks like and where she works and that she likes Twisted Sister. <laughs> he is just waiting to get to 1986 to fuck her. Okay, Bobby, I don't know if you know this, but that is the scripted end to the movie. <laughs> I didn't. The end of the movie originally included a sequence of him tracking down Sarah Jessica Parker as a young girl who is his age and going up and talking to her so it pays off the talk he had with his dad at the beginning of the movie about going up and talking to girls. Presumably, they then go on to adopt a a robot butler. Yeah, or possibly invent the robot (laughs) butler because he knows it exists. (laughs) And make make millions of dollars. Yeah, it's amazing that you predicted that that was the scripted end of the film because that's what it was. It was cut. It's for the better. I mean, for good reason. Yeah, so I think that's it. That gets us to the end of the movie. He goes back to his original time. I mean, I know he travels back in time, but he's grown as a person he's realized that he appreciates his younger brother he tells his family how much he loves them um you get the reveal that um an alien life form has stowed away in his bag humanity is no doubt set to end due to this because it's like a a a toad being uh, smuggled into australia how many Simpsons references can we cram into this podcast? I, I cannot wait. It's basically my entire life. I, I can't make any kind of simile or discussion without it being Simpsons-based in some way. I mean, I I, realistic, I understand that has been the basis of our friendship for like lowly, these nearly 30 years, and, I, and I'm, I'm happy for it. So, in 1986, the year that Flight of the Navigator came out, Disney also released its first R-rated touchstone picture. Down and Out in Beverly Hills, starring Bette Midler and Richard Dreyfus. They also released a G-rated Disney film that includes burlesque dancing, smoking, drinking, The Great Mouse Detective, one of my favorites. I was going to say, is that The Great Mouse Detective? <laughs> oh, I, lo- I love The Great Mouse Detective. That is actually my favorite animated Disney film. They then released three more Touchstone pictures. Uh, Tough Guy, starring Burt Lancaster and Kurt Douglas. Ruthless People, also starring Bette Midler and Danny DeVito. And The Color of Money, starring Tom Cruise and Paul Newman and directed by Martin Scorsese. So... They were really, they were really pivoting after uh, Return to Oz. Yeah, wow. <laughs> they were like, "Fuck this kid shit." Who knows what kids want? <laughs> Let's make a sequel to The Hustler. This is like, this is actually. I was actually chatting with my partner about this, but this is actually just before what people refer to as the Disney Renaissance. Yeah. Yep. Um, because what? Because Little Mermaid's eighty nine. Eighty eight. It is eighty nine. So it's it's it, yeah. It's it's not that soon after that suddenly Disney gets back on, gets on top again and suddenly like this is kind of the interesting start of that. Little Mermaid was uh, the same people who made Great Mouse Detective. Yes, it was. Mm. And who also then yeah. went on to do Aladdin. Uh, Ron mm-hmm. Merkin. I want to believe one of his names are Clements and Musker. Clements and Musker. That's what it is. Um, Ron Clements and John Musker. And Disney pushed them to do hercules because disney was like this is printing money man it's printing money hercules we're gonna have danny devito <laughs> i mean at that time danny devito was printing money isn't that one of the funniest hey, statements they, they wanted to cash in again on that ruthless people money it worked for us with ruthless people we're gonna bring them back hercules is not too it's around the same time as space jam as well and he's in space jam he is in space jam 
DeVito's in everything. I love DeVito. Yeah. Fuck. You know what I love? Always Sunny. Fuck, I love Always Sunny. He's so... I, I just started rewatching that on Disney+, Plus. actually. <laughs> it doesn't count for the show, but... And now we get to our session on everything else on Disney+. Plus. Simpsons, Always Sunny. But we got to rank this one first. Just move it right off. Okay, we'll never talk about TV shows. <laughs> we already have too many numbers. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't even talk about talking about TV shows. <laughs> so we got to rank this thing. Oh, crap. I never thought of this. I, I would have put this almost at like a number two, but that... 15 minutes of the ship as a small child annoyed the shit out of me. So it goes to number four. So it's going to be just behind Blackbeard's Ghost for me. Because I enjoyed Blackbeard's Ghost more than I enjoyed this. Because that 15 minutes of the film annoyed me so much. Wow. Okay. Um, For me, honestly, if it was, as you said, the 44-48 mark of the movie, it would be number one. But the second half of the film just... I didn't get any enjoyment out of it like legitimately i was so disengaged from everything that was happening now again it i'm no longer the tar- target demographic for it and films have definitely changed over the past 30 years since 1986 so i get why it's not resonating with me right as i said i think i saw it a couple times when i was a kid i probably enjoyed it well enough um, but nothing really stuck out with me. I can't believe that we haven't, we've got through this entire podcast where we haven't said the word compliant once. That is like the one line of dialogue. Compliance. Compliant. Yeah. What I, what, that I remembered from this film. I actually, I liked it. I liked his little compliance. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was great. Um, I just can't believe we haven't said that. Well, we just said it like six times. So we're good. I'll just edit it throughout the entire thing. <laughs> just randomly. Every time it. my chair squeaks. Just... Compliance. Okay, so moving on. Yeah. Compliance. Yeah. There, now we have a bunch of options. <laughs> uh, Robbie, I want you to say it's called The Podcast War Tennis Shoes. It's called The Podcast War Tennis Compliance. Shoes. <laughs> nice. The second half of this film really did nothing for me. Uh, I actually, our conversation has made this jump up my list but i was gonna put it right in the middle um because of that because the first half i loved the second half no no thank you how many movies have we done now well this is seven so you've done seven i I, i've lost my count nine if you count all the freaky fridays yeah um i will put it it's above bull whip it's above the freaky fridays it's above uh even steven's movie um (laughs) <laughs> I forget which one we've done already. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to circulate a list so that we know exactly what these are things are. We, I was going to say, we have to yeah. get better at this ranking because <laughs> i got to remember where I put stuff. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to put mine at number two. I'm going to still put Darby above it, but uh, I really like this film. I loved it as a kid and wow. returning to it, it, uh, it was way better than I expected. Returning to it, I'm like, this is still really, really good. This is a really good film. <sighs> There's nothing um, wrong with and yeah, and I say I'm like the it, odd this, one out, I guess, it, and I get it was just a me thing, but like I actually I really liked this movie. Like I it it just the way it takes itself seriously and plays within a realistic world is just it was so refreshing, especially for a hmm. kids movie from the eighties. Yeah, this okay, this is the best review I can give it. You know how some movies are great if you just stop watching at a certain point like war of the worlds stop watching when tim robbins shows up it's an amazing film stop watching when he comes into the spaceship it's an amazing film i, I would i would want to know what happens in the spaceship <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah at what point you'd be like no 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 what happens like <laughs> i don't think i'd walk away from that being like that's an amazing film i think i'd really want to know so, uh, I mean, you can tell people that, Rob. I'm just yeah. not sure that that's going to work. So, The Flight of the Navigator. Uh, don't watch any of the actual flight. Yeah. <laughs> just watch the 
of the part of the movie. As long as you don't watch The Flight of the Navigator when you watch Flight of the Navigator, it's my favorite film. I would put it above Darby if that was the case. Just saying. Um, we can look forward to a revisit on this. This film is coming up as in November of last year, Disney did actually announce a remake of the film being held by Bryce Dallas Howard that will be coming to Disney+. I Plus. noticed that. And, uh, you know, I got to say, Bryce Dallas Howard, some of the best stuff on The Mandalorian. So uh, I'm pumped. I would watch that. Exactly. Uh, she's crushing it. I think other than that, uh, any Rob, you got anything else to say? Uh, just thanks for listening, guys. It's a blast. Compliance. Compliance. Robbie, say compliance. Compliance. And that's the show. If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks.